Has God been working in anyone's lives this week? That was just a pop quiz to see if, if you were paying attention last week. Um, <clears throat> was anyone shipwrecked this week? Um, you're thinking yes, figuratively maybe. Um, anyone adrift at sea overnight? It doesn't count, you know, that you fell asleep in the bathtub. Um, anyone beaten with rods? Well, I didn't experience any of these things literally myself this week. But last week after the service, I was talking with um, Dave Painter, and we were talking about how to have the mindset that Paul had. And I said that I felt like I needed to read my passage or my message that I gave last week every morning just to remind myself of the things I was talking about or just once the inertia of life took over, it would just pull me under and all of a sudden before I realized it, my joy would be sucked out of me. And um, unfortunately, I didn't do that. Um, and I really should have. I, I really meant what I said when I said that to him, uh, but I didn't. Uh, but if I did, I would have renewed my mind daily. Uh, but I will say that I, uh, because of these things that we've been talking about and I've been meditating on this passage, I did have more of an awareness of seeing life through the lens that Paul uh, did just from... Um, <clears throat> these things being more fresh in my mind. And uh, even though we might not be beaten with rods in any given week, how do we do in living with this attitude of yes, and I will rejoice in what we face day to day and week to week? So when, when the week started for me on Tuesday, um, as often happens, uh, what my plan is for the day versus what God's plan is for the day, you know, are like this. And... Uh, I don't know how many of you are list people, um, but that doesn't work good for list people, okay? Because as a list person, I just want, I mean, I want to check off boxes. You know, I, I make a list and I want to check off boxes. And I don't, you know, there's, I'm completely unsettled if I can't check off a box. And before I can even get to the first box checked off, when as often does at work, you know, something blows up and, um, you know, out of nowhere this issue happens and it's got to be solved immediately, then I'm just, I'm, that's it. I'm in a tailspin, you know. It's like I got shot down from the sky. And um, so this pretty much happens multiple times throughout the week this week. And um, do, the problem is, do I always see those interruptions as God's plan for my life? And uh, do I see that as God's working in my life? Um, to where my responses are always, I will rejoice in this. And uh, the answer is, is no. Uh, but as this was fresh in my mind, though, it took a while to get there because God was working. And uh, I did come back to remembering at different points through the week oh yes, God is working in my life. <clears throat> um, like I said, it's just hard when you're a list person to let go of that list and, and understand and let God understand that he's the one who's allowing the interruptions to take place. But because of my first responses were not this, I also forgot to ask others to pray for me, which we talked about last week, and then to depend on the Holy Spirit to provide what I needed, which we talked about last week as well. So it's kind of like when you forget that God is at work, 
then you then forget these other things and you start going down this <clears throat> hole. Um, well, at least by Friday, my mind was saturated with the truths because God had been working all week trying to get me back to where I should be. And by Friday, my mind was, you know, thinking more and more of these things, um, which was a good thing because on Friday, we, we drove to Arkansas to attend uh, my niece's wedding. And uh, it was an outdoor wedding. And as you know, on Friday was a super hot day, a super humid day, and it was probably more so in Arkansas than it was here even. Um, so with God working in my life and bringing these truths to my mind, what that helped was for me to keep my mouth shut, to not complain or grumble about it, but to just enjoy it under the less than ideal circumstances. In fact, as, as we were sitting there in the hot sun, I was thinking about Paul and what he went through and what he says in this passage and then what we're all going to see in a few weeks, which I quoted during the prayer, Philippians 2.14, do all things, all things. I mean, it's, the Bible is such a high standard because it uses words like this, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And as hard as that is, it makes perfect sense that Paul would say that. Because if we really live today's passage and what we talked about last week, um, it shows us the lens through which Paul approached life. And if we live that way, then without a doubt, we certainly could and would do all things without grumbling and complaining. So last week I said that we were going to look at six things from Philippians 1, 19-26, that if we imitated Paul in these things, we too would be able to walk through this life with a constant attitude of yes, and I will rejoice. So let's do a brief summary of the four points we looked at last week from this passage. <clears throat> Number one was this. We will be rejoicing and have joy when we don't forget that God is at work in our lives. We will be rejoicing and have joy when we don't forget that God is at work in our lives. Um, as I said there in, in uh, verse 19, for I know, I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. If we are really believing that God is at work in our lives at all times, we will be people overflowing with joy. Number two from last week was, we will be rejoicing and have joy when we invite others to pray for us. Again from verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And I said this last week, Paul understood that though his own prayers, while good and important, did not negate the necessity of him asking other people to pray for him. You and I need to pray that God would work in our lives to where this is just a reflex reaction. Um, something happens, we ask others to pray for us. And as I said last week, I confessed, I'm just, I'm not there. And, and, I, and I really want to get there. I want us. I want us all to get to where it's a reflex reaction. Something happens, we're texting someone, we're calling someone, we're asking for prayer. And I, and I think Paul was there. Number three, we will be rejoicing and have joy when we rely on the Holy Spirit to meet our needs. We will be rejoicing and have joy when we rely on the Holy Spirit to meet our needs. Again, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance.
Anything you and I need for any situation, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is ready and able to equip you to be more like Jesus. And as we read in Ephesians 3.16, God has glorious, unlimited resources. And the fourth point that we looked at last week was this. Number four, we will be rejoicing and have joy when we make it our ambition to honor Christ in and through our lives, no matter what. We will be rejoicing and have joy when we make it our ambition to honor Christ in and through our lives, no matter what. Verse 20 says this, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul wanted through his life to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted others to see that Christ was great, that Christ was worthy, that Christ was more valuable than anything. And again, even as I prayed about um, do all things without grumbling and complaining so that you will shine as lights in the world, I mean, that's, that's um, countercultural. That's, that would be magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Others would see that Christ is great. I mean, I think, I think others would go, what's, what's going on with this guy? I, I remember in, in college... Um, I was a new believer, <clears throat> and um, um, I, I had started taking an engineering class, um, and I've told my testimony before, so I won't go into it, but um, there were some Christians on the floor, the dorm floor that I lived on, and it was a semester after I became a Christian, and um, one of the guys, name was Charles LaHaye, and um, he was also an electrical engineering student, and um, so I forget, I think we were taking this class called Signals and Systems, and um, which, whatever that is, you know. And um, anyway, it's, uh, it was a hard class, okay? I think I ended up with a C in it, barely, maybe a C, you know, minus or something. But anyway, um, uh, after the class, I remember, um, we'd always stand around, a little group of people would stand around in the huddle and talk about you know, what was going on, and um, uh, <clears throat> it really, it was like a little huddle of complaining, okay, of like, oh, that teacher, this, and why is he doing this, and why do we have this much homework, and, and this and that, and everything, and he's a bad teacher, can't even understand what he's talking about, um, and I swear, this is for real, I just, I, I, it's like, seriously, Charles was in this group, this huddle, he never complained, never opened his mouth, never contributed to any of that conversation, and, and it, it was like a light to me. I mean, I was a new Christian, and I, I mean, God was, it was like a beaming light that I recognized that, like, that guy's different. Now, I, I was a new Christian, but I was partaking in all the complaining and grumbling about everything, but I just, God used that as an example to me to show me that, like, this is what magnifying Christ looks like. This is what Jesus would look like if he was standing in this group. So, so that was just really, um, that, I mean, that sticks out to me to this day as an example of that. So we're down to our last two things to look at from this passage. And that as I stated before, if we follow Paul's example in these six areas, that was four, we're going to go through two today, we will view life differently than if we don't. We will all live with more joy we will be people who are rejoicing more often. So number five, here we go. 
We will be rejoicing and have joy when we put Jesus first in our lives. We will be rejoicing and have joy when we put Jesus first in our lives. Now, this is really a challenge, and this is something that you and I really have to evaluate constantly in our lives. Is Jesus really the priority? Am I really giving him the preeminence in my life? Let's look at it in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Literally in the Greek, I was going to do this thing, but I'm not very good at it, but <clears throat> some people know of a, uh, an old pastor friend named Ron Weber, and on points like this, he would say something like this, literally in the Greek, living Christ, dying, gain. But I can't do it as well as, as, well as he could. <clears throat> but that's literally what it means in the Greek. Living Christ, dying gain. Paul says, my life is wrapped up in Christ. I live for Christ. I preach for Christ. I love Christ. I serve Christ. My life is about Jesus. Living Christ, dying gain. How could dying be gain? Because you take everything in this life and put it on one side of the scales and you put Christ on the other side, and Christ is more. He's much more. That's what Paul is saying. Now, what if we looked at this in kind of a formula kind of way? This isn't very good, and I could have, could have done better, but we'll look at this on the screen. Um, for to me, to live is blank. If you put anything else in there, then dying is loss, right? Some people, when they come down to the end of their lives, are unable to look forward to heaven because what they have in here is, for to me, to live is family. And if living is family, then dying is loss. If living is wealth, then dying is loss. If living for you is your hobbies, then dying is loss. No matter what you put in there, if living for you is anything other than Christ, then dying will always be at the wrong time, and it's going to be a bad day for you. But Paul says this, for to me to live is Christ, period. Now, honestly, I think for most of us, it probably looks more like this. For to me to live is Christ plus blank. Christ plus family. Christ plus possessions. Christ plus prestige. Christ plus my pursuit of leisure. You might say, but I've got a spouse. I've got, I, I do, I've got a family. I mean, what am I supposed to do about that? Well, do we believe this? That we will love them more when we love them less than Jesus. Because when you love Jesus more, he will cause you to love everybody more. When you love Jesus more, he will cause you to love everybody more. Paul could rejoice because Christ was the priority of his life. So some of us need to work through this whole Jesus plus thing, but I don't want us to be confused. So this needs more explanation. I'm going to explain more because, you know, I, that... 
If you're like me, I'm a person that goes, bounces to extremes, so I don't want you to bounce to an extreme here. Um, uh, I'm kind of like, I'm all in or I'm all out. Um, so I want to say a little more about this. Um, so you don't jump to the conclusion that to live as Christ means that this afternoon you pack up your bags and uh, leave your families, move to the nearest monastery, and live like a life of solitude and prayer. Because um, that's not what I'm talking about. What Paul was saying is that what made his life valuable in the things he did, because he did do things, um, and the relationships he had, he did have and nurture relationships. Um, what made his life valuable was Jesus. So when the time comes for him to die and the things he did have passed on and the relationships he had have ceased, he will still have Jesus and he will have him fully. So if we think about joy you can have, no one can take that from you when you have this view. Because, because of Jesus, none of our labors for him are in vain. The key words are for him. None of our labors in what we do or the relationships we have for him are in vain. Living Christ. Are we doing what we're doing for him? Are we working hard at our jobs for him? Are we bringing up our children for him? Are we being the caregiver for a loved one for him? He knows all the minutiae of our lives, every diaper changed, every load of laundry, every meal cooked, every late night and difficult week you are working hard to provide for your family, for him. If he's going to reward the giving of a cup of cold water in his name, then most certainly he's going to reward the proverbial, and sometimes not proverbial, blood, sweat, and tears spent for him. Because of Jesus, all of our battle wounds and scars matter. So think about what you're facing right now. <clears throat> what are you afraid to lose? What are you worried that you will never gain? What are you concerned about? Well, when you step back and cut through all the possibilities, the best case and the worst case and everything in between, <clears throat> and over the top of it, just write this, all for Jesus. Pray that God will give you full courage to live for him in all things at all times. Let's move on to number six. I'm going to start by reading verses 21 through 26 again. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, so number six is this. <clears throat> we will be rejoicing and have joy when we put others before ourselves. And it's plainly clear to me, and I hope it is to you in this passage, that living for Christ involves other people. Okay, living for Christ involves other people. We don't live for Christ by doing our best to arrange our lives in a manner 
that distances us from other people. Again, we don't live for Christ by doing our best to arrange our lives in a manner that distances us from other people. When Paul thinks about what his life is, he thinks about them. He thinks about the Philippians. He thinks about how he can help them grow. He wants his life to be fruitful in the people he loves because people are forever. People are God's masterpieces, and you and I have the honor of taking part in God's process of transforming people into objects of beauty and praise for the glory of God. I was asking Troy on the way to church this morning, I said, what, what do you think living for Christ means? And, and, um, and he said, uh, to give glory to God. And, 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 and I, I mean, I was, it was kind of a trick question because I was trying to go where, where I was going here today. But I was like, yes. And then what is it that gives glory to God? Well, Jesus told us in John 15, he said, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. And I think Paul connected the dots here. He said, he, he connected living for Christ, dying is gain, but if I am to live on, it's going to be fruitful labor for me. And then he goes on to connect fruitful labor to living for others, okay? So fruit comes from life, and what Jesus taught in John 15, it's only because of the life of Jesus in us that we can be fruitful at all. That's number one. Um, but it's fruitfulness through Jesus that brings God the Father great honor and praise. And Jesus has chosen us that we should bear fruit. But I want us to notice just the tension here for a minute. Why was Paul hard-pressed? He said, but I'm hard-pressed between the two. Well, I think we all find ourselves wanting relief from the hard things in life. And as those hard things accumulate and we begin to understand that if we keep on living, there's going to be more to come. Then our desire to be done with this life grows. <clears throat> I think um, it is interesting. You kind of think sometimes, well, maybe like I've already been through the hard times and life's going to get easier. Um, but it really doesn't. Okay, that's, sorry, young people. But um, uh, in fact, this is really, <laughs> I think back to this story, what an idiot. Um, I was probably like 21 years old and I was sitting in the living room of, of uh, one of my pastors at the time and, and we were just talking about growing in Christ and God developing your character and he was talking about like God uses circumstances and difficulties in your life to grow your character and I was like, but Jonathan, I mean like I don't really have any trials in my life, you know, I, I, I kind of wish I had some trials so that I could grow in character. You know, he's like, Brother Andy, you don't need to pray for trials. You know, they're, they're going to come. And believe me, I mean, yes. I mean, I just, can you, so young people, don't, you don't, you don't need to pray for trials. Um, you'll get plenty, you know, um, by the time you're my age. Um, um, so Paul certainly knew about relentless sufferings. But Paul doesn't say here that he wants to um, leave the earth just to escape life circumstances would be far better. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is um, to depart and be with Christ 
would be far better. And this phrase here, I don't know which to choose, is, is very interesting because in one sense, it sounds like there was some, something going on between Paul and Jesus to where he was being given the choice. And we don't really know exactly what was going on there with him saying that, but, but what do Paul's words tell us about where Paul's heart is? So you can imagine that heaven would look better and better for someone like him who's been through relentless sufferings. He loves Jesus, and being with him is the very best joy that he can ever imagine. And yet he is saying, in essence, I'm going to stay here for you, Philippians. I'm going to keep living, even if there is more suffering and hardships in my life, for you. If I'm living for my own desires, I'm going to choose heaven. So living for Christ is fruitful labor. And fruitful labor is living for others, putting others before ourselves. Now to get more practical, as the passage goes on, fruitful labor, labor, and fruitful labor is living for others. Uh, I'm sorry, fruitful labor looks like this living for others' progress and joy in the faith. Okay, so fruitful labor is living for others' progress and joy in the faith. Um, So he wants to see advancement in their lives. Um, And that word advance there, progress, um, it's the same word that he uses in verse 12 when he says that everything that's happened to me has served to advance the gospel, move it forward. It's it's not stagnant, it's moving. He wants to see their lives grow in Christ, become more like Christ. Um, His remaining with them would have this effect of bringing them joyful advancement in the faith. That is fruitful labor. And you remember his prayer, and if you go back later and read verses 9 through 11, this is what he wants to see happen in their lives. He's praying this for them. Now, one of my favorite parts of this whole section Um, And I really didn't ever really catch this a lot during, as I read through Philippians multiple times, but until really um, getting into this passage um, this time, is in verse 26. This says this, um, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, I'm sorry, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So that Paul wanted to have an impact in their lives that would cause them to grow and have joy in the faith so that they would glory in Christ Jesus, okay? That, that to me is, is just, um, I hope that's what we want. You know, we want to have an impact in others' lives so that they would glory in Christ Jesus, you know, as, as, they, as their lives grow and as they make progress in the faith. Um, when I was, I talked last week about going to that camp and, and doing the, the worship time in the mornings and the evening services before the speaker, his name was Frank, would come to speak. But as I observed what God was doing throughout the week, um, this verse kept coming to my mind, this verse 26. Um, as God was, was, was working in the lives of these teenagers, And on the Saturday morning, when the parents came to pick up the kids, six of the kids 
um, who, had, who had received the Lord and, and put their trust in him during the week, they got baptized in front of their parents, in front of all the campers. And I was just thinking of the glory that Jesus received um, as God thinking that how God worked in Paul's life was unique. Or you might be thinking, hey, I'm not, I'm not that guy, Frank. Um, but we're not talking about unique things here. God holds yours and my life's breath in his hand. And he is the Lord of history, not just generically, but specifically. And, and he's chosen for a reason that we're all here today, alive and breathing. Um, so why, why are we? Why has he done that? What is it that he wants you to do today and every day until he finally calls us home? Well, we already talked about this, but in John 15, he said, I've chosen you so that you'd be fruitful. Then we need to see to it that our lives give others the joy of advancing in the faith, because that's what bearing fruit looks like. Labor to see their lives overflow with praise to Jesus, because as long as you are alive, you're still part of their lives. You're still part of people's lives. <clears throat> so if we kind of take a magnifying glass and look a little closer, who are your people? Who are the people who could actually say this about you? Who thinks of you this way? Who on your agenda, who's on your, or what's on your agenda for this week and this month that's calculated to further this goal of living? Or if you were to look at your calendar and you were to think back through what you've done in the past month and you were to look forward to what you're going to do the next month, what patterns have you put in place that are for this objective? helping people advance in the faith. This is a big enough objective that Paul says, look, it's necessary for my sake that I remain. It's a good thing that I stay instead of departing to be with Jesus, which would be much better for me, but I need to stay and do this. This is so important that waiting on heaven is worth it. Think about that. He's, he's saying, I'd love to go to heaven, but this is that important that means it ought to be on my calendar it ought to be on my mind and heart you might say I'm not sure I'm really good at thinking this way well we already talked about God's working in our lives and the Holy Spirit will equip us with whatever we need I mean I understand that all the things that usually clutter up our minds, all the things that are important, right, but really aren't as important as this, that just take over our lives, but God is able to help us. How are you and I going to actually make this way of living happen? Because you read passages like this, and you know this is what God wants. If you want to live according to the will of God, if you want to as Ephesians 2.10 says, walk in the good works that God prepared beforehand for you to walk in them, then your life has to look this way. It just has to. So how's that going to happen? So let's start with the, this question. Do you know that you actually belong to Jesus? Because living this way doesn't happen unless that's there first. Are you actually trusting in him as your savior? Your Lord, are you relying on him and nothing and no one else to rescue you from your sin? 
to give you an eternal inheritance? Are you looking at his death on the cross and his perfectly righteous life and his resurrection is sufficient to save you? And are you looking at that as something you want? Do you desire to follow Jesus? Because if you're not a follower of Christ, you can attempt to try to live like this, but it's not going to last. And if you belong to Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ and you know it, do you love him? I'm not asking him if you love him enough. I don't think any of us are going to say that we're there where we want to be, right? But do we want to love him more? Okay, then. Who can you help to make progress in the faith? Think of, think of names. Who can you be a part of increasing joy in their life because they're experiencing growth from Jesus' life in them? And what specifically can you do this week to spark praise to God in the hearts of someone else? I'll give you a hint. Who is sitting next to you today? Your spouse? Your children? Fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? This is everyday bucket list stuff. This is every week bucket list stuff. Let's pray that God would help make this our lives. That we would give ourselves our lives to this purpose, to help others grow, to glorify Jesus. This is what our lives are for. It's what Paul's life was for. But Paul wasn't unique. It's what all of our lives are for. This would be worth living for. Living Christ. Dying gain. Honoring Christ by life or by death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as is often the case, you know, we we see the truth in in your word. Um, I mean, (laughs) we think verses like, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and we, we understand that what you're saying is you're putting a bar out there that's impossible for us to achieve. Um, Now, thankful that you gave us an example of a human being, Paul, who who lived a very um, high level of of following your word and, and that we can look to of a human being example, God, but not in the sense of like, well, that was him. You know, we can't do that. But no, but from the example of like, if our lives are yielded to you, as Paul's life was yielded to you, you can work in our lives the same way you worked in Paul's life. And um, <clears throat> God, I pray that you, you would work in our lives, God. I mean, for the sake of those who are sitting next to us, for the sake of our fellow brothers and sisters, our spouses, our children, um, God, that, we, that you would work in us to where we, um, and, and I know that you have been working, God. I mean, it's, it's evident, and I praise you for that. I, I thank you for 
those, as I see that you're, you're, you're doing this work, God, and, and, and we're seeing fruit. I thank you for the fruit, God, that, that, that you are producing. Um, because, because people are, we, we, people are living this way, God, and to the degree that we're living this way, you're, you're blessing with fruit. I, I pray, God, that you would help us live this way all the more. All the more, God. Um, and I pray that, that you would, you would uh, cause the growth. In fact, I, you are the one who causes the growth, God. So I pray, God, that you would just help us to live for you each and every day. Have a heart for others to, to see them make progress in the faith and have joy in the faith. Um, and then that you would cause the growth and you to wear fruit, God. You would cause our labors to be fruitful to where our lives aren't wasting away, that, that days aren't turning into weeks and weeks into months and months into years. God, I pray that you would help us to follow you as we sing this last song where our prayer is that we would follow you completely and wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen.